October 3rd, 2016, Donald Edward Fickey Jr., also known as DJ, was found dead with a shotgun wound to his face. DJ's death was ruled a suicide. His family knows better. With physical evidence to back them up, DJ's sister, Amanda, seeks justice for her brother. From the beginning, Amanda states her brother was murdered, and police botched the investigation from the get-go. And now, Crime Pursuit Podcast is in pursuit, seeking justice for DJ. So, let's join the pursuit. Let's fight to get justice for DJ. Okay, we're back, and this is part two for Let's Fight to Get Justice for DJ. We was going through the medical examiner's report. I was agreeing with everything Heather was just saying earlier. <laughs> she done heard and seen a lot of reports, and this one, this one takes the cake. Mm-hmm. <laughs> wow. So, Amanda, you said earlier that your mother had specifically asked that day to have residue testing on everyone in the trailer. Am I correct? Yes. So after you guys heard this recording from the private investigator, did y'all question this? Oh, yeah. We, we actually knew that there was not one done before this uh, call was made with my private investigator. We found out when they closed the case that they had never done a gun residue, you know, test on DJ's hand. That just added to our list of what were y'all thinking, you know? You know, this is where I'm trying to get understand that your mother specifically asked for this, and these were law enforcement, am I correct? Yes, it was actually the coroner and detectives. And this should have been honored? Yes. Okay. Heather, do you have anything you want to add about the medical report? Um, yeah, just, you know, the medical report alone, um, with the medical examiner's call that we left, you know, part one on, uh, when she states that he didn't have any depressants in his system and that basically he just had stimulants so he could have fought off, you know, uh, if he was being attacked or something, um, she treated it as a close, you know, just close the case. He was suicidal. He didn't. He didn't have the presence. He could have fought it off if somebody tried to take that gun. Well, you know, when we get to the interview part, um, the suspect in question confirms that there there may have been a struggle, and so what that medical examiner stated uh, coincides with what the suspect says. It actually confirms that yeah, he he did try to fight off a gun, perhaps. No, he wasn't suicidal. Uh, So, yeah. Yes, I agree. And also, I want to point out from listening to the 
recorded call with a private investigator and the medical examiner, and then actually going through the reports from the medical examiner, it just makes me feel like she wanted to say everybody that has meth in their systems are suicidal or couldn't be murdered. You know what I mean? That's how I felt. Did you guys feel that way, Amanda, when that was released to yeah, you? Yeah, after I heard the re- the recording between her and my private investigator, I, I, I felt the same way because I've never done meth, but as far as I, I know, meth doesn't make bulletproof or it doesn't magically make bullets, you know, ricochet off of your body or anything. So her making that statement was just stupid. It was yes. stupid. It was very yeah. uneducated statement to make, actually. It was. It was kind of a, like I said, kind of a their way of just blowing off the case to say, okay, now th- we're just telling you now, you know, this is in a system. We're done about this move on, uh, case closed. Exactly, Heather. And I get the feeling like that's what they wanted. Even if they did see, okay, they got this and this and this evidence, because you know they're not that stupid. It's like they just wanted it to be done and over with and not have to mess with it is how they acted. Yeah, I agree. Well, I th- this woman said that basically that the whole test was, you know, we had this meth in the system, and that was just the end of the story. <laughs> So, Amanda, we're, let's talk about talking to the district attorney. How, how, how's that been going? I mean, you guys go there every year, every month? We haven't heard from the district attorney since the day they called us, told us that they were closed. They were, you know, they actually said that they were going to put it in, in a pending status um, in case anybody ever confessed. But at the time, they just didn't have enough evidence to pursue charges. And we've not heard from him since. He didn't actually even have much to say that day. But when they called us in, it was him and two of the detectives that were on the case. Every question I asked, it either got blew, you know, blew off, um, they changed the subject, or they just wouldn't answer it at all. Um, I mean, I asked specific questions. You know, uh, was, the, was the gun ever fingerprinted? Um, no... We we didn't find any fingerprints on the gun. It was covered in blood, but there was no fingerprints on it. And then, of course, later on, we found out that was not true either. But, I mean, there were just so many things that we asked them. I asked them, well, what about the polygraph test? Was Is that not enough to do something? And, of course, they said that it can't be, you know, used in court. It's not admissible in court. But he actually signed all of his all the forms and paperwork and explained to him at the polygraph examination that it could be used in court. And he, he initialed it and signed off on it. Um, I asked him about, uh, what else did I ask? I asked about, you know, I, I, put, I asked him, was there not anything at all that you can charge these people with? No, there's nothing. There's nothing we can charge them with. I asked, the, asked them if they ever met with the medical examiner. They told me, no, there was no need in meeting with a medical examiner. Throughout this entire time, the detectives or anyone had no contact with a medical examiner at all. So he took this polygraph test, and he failed, am I correct? Yes, he he failed it miserably. Okay, (laughs) I believe that. I saw a video with this, well, his real name would be Marshall Payne, am I correct? Yes. Okay, so I watched this video, and he's doing a reenactment. 
was he doing that reenactment with? Was it the police or the investigator or what? It was the guy that was giving the... It was, he's a polygraph examiner, but he's also a detective. He was actually certified to give polygraph examinations. He was doing the reenactment for him as well as the main detective on DJ's case. All right, we're going to move to where your private investigator went to the jail, I believe, and interviewed someone that was there that day. We're going to play that audio. Hey, man, how you doing? All right, how you doing? Good, good. Can you hear me good? Yeah. Okay, so you're David Callboy, you go by Fat Boy, right? Correct? Yeah. Okay, so like I said before, I'm investigating it on behalf of the family. Mm -hmm. um, and I know you were there, I read all the reports. So just kind of kind of walk me through what happened that day. Um, I done told, you know, Tuesday County and Amanda, you know, that I told them everything, you know, that went down that day. Mm -hmm. And, uh... Can you just kind of tell me, please? DJ accidentally got shot. I mean, it's that simple. Okay, so let me ask you, because I got a list of questions, so I'm just trying to, to yeah. just to find out. Okay, so when you say he accidentally got shot, where did the gun come from? Um, I done told investigators all about that. I know, but they still, they st I don't know what's happened with that, so I'm trying to do my own independent investigation to help the family. Mm -hmm. So if you can tell me, man, I'd appreciate it. Uh, they know Mark brought the gun up there. So Mark brought the gun. They know that. Okay. So, well, are, you I, sure, are you sure that you have Katusa's? Yeah. Well, I mean, it should plainly say in there who brought the gun. Yeah, I got all of this, and and the reason why they hired me is because Katusa is still saying it's a suicide, and reading the report. Don't mean that they wrote an accidental shooting. No, it's still a suicide. See, and that's and that's why I got involved, and that's why the family came and hired me, because I'm trying to say it's not a suicide based on everything that I read in the police reports. So the only person I can talk to by reading your statements, I said, well, let me come talk to you, because you seem like the one who's being the most honest about everything. They know. I mean, I told they come up here and talked to me last year. Mm-hmm. Or not last year, but at the beginning, like a... Uh, at the beginning of this year, and I told him, you know, that Mark is the one who brought the gun up there, and that the gun was in Mark's hand when it went off. So Mark brought the gun. Did he point the gun at DJ? Um, I didn't physically see him point the gun at him. When I come into the room, it was right as the shot went off, and yeah, Mark had the gun in his hand. And Mark had the gun in his hand. Yeah. Okay, but and DJ also had a hand on the gun. But DJ had a hand on the gun. Okay. And I guess what I'm missing is. Who brought the gun into the picture? Did DJ have the gun sitting next to him and Mark grabbed it? Mark did. I told Patrice County that. So Mark brought the gun into the room? Yes. Okay. Okay. And then the gun went off accidentally? Yeah, there, there was kind of, I don't know, what he called it, like struggle or whatever, you know, and the gun went off. Okay. I don't think Mark meant to shoot DJ. It just happened that the gun was pointed directly at him, which he did point the gun at him. Mark did point the gun at DJ? Yes. Okay. I don't think he meant to shoot him. I really don't. So you think he meant to scare him? Yeah, it was it was an intimidation. Okay. You know, trying to get him to shut up because him and Brandy wouldn't stop arguing. 
Okay. I'm, I'm not saying that DJ deserved to die because he really didn't. Right. But it was, Mark didn't mean to shoot him. Okay. And that's accidental. I get that. But that's the, that's the difference between a suicide. <laughs> yeah. Uh, see, the last time I talked to their Georgia's investigators, they said that they uh, was rolling into accidental homicide. An accidental homicide. That's what he told me, that it was an accidental shooting, that they truly believe it was an accident, and it really was. Right. So, so make sure I'm clear, Brandy was his wife. Yes. But also, Mark used to mess around with her. Yes. Okay. So... Now, Mark and Brandy had stopped that. They had stopped that. That was the agreement. That they wouldn't... They wasn't messing around anymore, you know, and... DJ was actually staying there with Mark and Brandy. Right. You know, and I say Mark and Brandy because it was Mark and Brandy more than it was Brandy and DJ when I was around. You know. What right. I mean? Right. Right. But like they was staying with Mark in his camper. Okay. And it, Brandy and DJ was together, so that wasn't. That's not the issue of why DJ got shot. Okay. It's because DJ and Brandy had been arguing for days, and everybody was tired of hearing it. And Mark told him, you know. Shut up! Stop arguing! I'm tired of hearing it. Da, da 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 And I don't know why he thinks and trying to intimidate somebody with a gun because that's not what they're for. But okay, so let me ask you this: After the gun went off, I read in the report that there was a story concocted to say that was suicide. Um, it wasn't necessarily a story concocted. It's just that's what was told. Was that you know DJ tried to shoot himself and Mark tried to stop him. So that, that's what Mark said. Well, yeah, and I just kind of went along with it because, honestly, I was kind of feared for my life. Right, you were feared for my life. Okay. Now, I saw the shotgun. It was a single shot. I mean, it wasn't like a pump. It didn't have six to eight rounds in there. No. Okay. So you had to shoot, reload, shoot, reload. Uh, I'm not sure. I never touched the gun. I don't know if it was a single shot breakdown or if it was a double barrel. I'm, okay. Well, I know it wasn't a double barrel. No, it wasn't a double barrel. Yeah. I don't know how many shots it held. So after, after, and, and this is something else I'm kind of fuzzy on, after the shooting, what happened to the gun? Was there any wipe down? Was there any cleaning the gun? Anything like that happened? No. Not, no. not that I'm aware of. It was just thrown on DJ's lap. Okay. It was just, so the gun after the shot, he, Mark put the gun on DJ's lap. Yep, and then he went and washed his hands and called 911. Did he call anybody before he called 911? I don't think so. You don't think so? Okay. Did he change his clothes or anything? I think he did change his shirt. He changed his shirt? I, th I believe so, yeah. Okay. Okay. You know why he changed his shirt? I think because it had blood and shit on it. Okay. Okay. All right. So he changed his shirt because he had the blood. It did might have. I'm not saying that. Well, it might have, but you saw him change his shirt. I'm not even 100 on that, but I think... He didn't change his shirt. I think he took his shirt off. Okay. He took his shirt off. I, okay. I believe. I'm not 100% on that, but I think. He, I'm, or maybe he put his shirt on after that. Okay. I'm trying to remember. I'm not 100%. I don't want to you know, say right. yes or no on it because I really don't know. Okay. In, in your opinion and what you saw when you were there, you can 100% say it wasn't a suicide. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely not suicide. Definitely not suicide. Okay. All right. Okay. Definitely not suicide. 
Now, Amanda, I want to ask you the in the interview with Fat Boy. Your private investigator had asked about them living together, and Fat Boy he 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 mentions that actually it was Brandy and Mark living in the trailer, and DJ was staying with them. Do you want to refresh us on that and how that really went down, or is that is he telling the truth about that? <laughs> I don't necessarily know. I don't believe that Fat Boy was there long enough to know the entire situation. As far as I've I've heard and what I've what I do know is that they were only there for a few days before this happened. Um, Brandy would stay in the camper with the person of interest, and DJ would stay in the camper every once in a while with them. There was times that DJ would be in the trailer and Brandy would be in the camper with the person of interest. There was times that Brandy and DJ were both in the trailer and the person of interest was in the camper. I mean, it, it was just, I don't, I don't know. It was a screwed up situation, to be honest. Yeah, and, and I agree. Yeah, Scre- that it. Yeah, screwed up. Yeah, because when yeah. I heard that, if, if... I think, I believe, in my honest opinion, I believe, I know, okay, just for an example, if your wife or your husband was with someone else, and you, there was nothing you could do to do anything about it. In my opinion, if he was, if my husband was going to be with someone else, I would want to be there in the room with my husband to see if anything was going on. You know, to have her back. You know, have his back. You know, because uh, the person of interest was wasn't a good guy. I mean, apparently he wasn't a good guy. He had beat the crap out of Brandy a couple times, put his hands on her, and things like that. So maybe DJ, I don't know, I don't know. I don't know if DJ was in the camper for the drugs. I don't know if DJ was in the camper just to have Brandy back to make sure nothing happened. I don't know. Yeah, because, you know, this guy, the person of interest, it was known that DJ knew that they had a, a, a some type of relationship. And Oh, yeah. When I heard that, that statement from Fatboy, and because he, he spoke like he went over there more than one time, he he spoke like he was constantly going there and this is what was going on. So that's right. why I was he, like, I think he knew of the situation that um, Brandy and the person of interest had a relationship for the simple fact that everyone knew the person of interest was obsessed with Brandy. He was in love with her. He was obsessed with her. Right. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Okay. Now, let's talk about the situation with um, he stated that it was an accident, that he didn't mean to kill DJ. Do you agree with that? I'm going to, that, that is the one statement because I actually went and interviewed this person myself before my private investigator did. Okay. <clears throat> and on two separate occasions, this person said that he believed that he was just trying to intimidate DJ and Brandy and to, you know, quit arguing to stop fighting, which fighting means arguing, you know. DJ and Brandy never got physical. But he was just tired of hearing about it. He was trying to get them to shut up, trying to intimidate them into stopping. And he's, he's like I said, he said it on at least two separate occasions that he don't think that the person of interest meant to shoot DJ but then he turns right because he says that he don't believe he's that type of person. But then he turns right around in the same sentence and says, 
the reason I lied about it is because, for all I know, he could have stopped me next. Or in the other statement was, the reason I lied about it is because I feared for my own life. Right. Well, if he's not that type of person, why are you worried that he could shoot you next? Or why are you in fear for your life? Exactly. And I'd like to yeah. um, point out something there, too. Because right before DJ was um, shot and killed, he was texting his mother. And he stated in them text messages, I'm going to die here. So yeah. Mark's personality wasn't just intimidation anyways. He was, there was, everybody was fearful of Mark. Or, yes. or DJ wouldn't have stated that he knew he was going to die. Yeah. I watched, uh, or I listened and, and watched your interviews with that uh, witness as well, Amanda. And that struck me as strange too. And I almost, I almost wondered too, in my mind is why is he still somewhat sticking up for him? I almost wondered... What, what is his relationship with the suspect as far as, you know, I, I felt like he just didn't want to fully give the real answer. I felt like he was still trying to kind of protect him. He's, he's being truthful, but he's not being completely He's not truthful. being, yeah, exactly. He wasn't being and completely my, honest. That's how I felt my with that. Opinion, my opinion on that is why he's doing that is... He wants to tell the truth, and he wants to be truthful about it because it's driving him crazy, I'm sure, from what he's seen. But at the same time, if he is completely truthful and honest about it, he's setting himself up to be an accessory murderer yes. because yes. He, helped, he helped go along with the story. Exactly. You know, he helped stage the crime scene. So he can't be completely 100% honest because he's incriminating he himself. You're exactly right. And also, you know, I noticed his body language um, in the, the video call with him. And I noticed a couple of times he would kind of look away, you know, when people were passing him as he was on the phone. And he wasn't fully ser taking it fully serious, in my opinion. Like, he just was, he, he was just kind of distracted and he was almost telling you kind of what you wanted to hear but at the same time like you said he was not being fully honest because he doesn't want to incriminate himself and secondly the whole idea that let's say the theory that okay mark did bring a gun and he just wanted to scare him because he was sick of of them arguing why did he have to put a bullet in the gun that doesn't uh, make any sense. You wouldn't put a bullet in a gun if you're just wanting to scare someone because you wouldn't want to kill someone accidentally, right? Exactly. Well, one, normal people wouldn't bring out a gun just to scare you. But let's say that that story is true. Let's just say for that sake that, okay, he's telling the complete truth. Then why was there a bullet in it? Exactly. I'd like to point out, too, um, it's, and it's the lack of care that Mark, if someone accidentally shoots somebody, they're not just going to shoot them and just, oh, I need to go wash my hands. Okay, I'm going to be, you know, wiping the blood on my shirt, grabbing my phone, dialing 911 immediately. Doing CPR. You exactly. Know what they would have whipped him down on the floor, even if he wasn't whatever. You wouldn't go wash your hands. You'd be trying to revive somebody. Exactly. In my opinion, exactly. it was also premeditated. He brought the gun there. He had a bullet in it, loaded, ready to shoot. It was premeditated. Well, what I'm trying to get. Agree. What I'm trying to get, it is, it's been proven that Mark had the gun. You know, DJ didn't own this gun. And yet, still, this guy hasn't been charged. What excuses have the district attorney have given you and the family 
for not moving forward with charges against Mark? That they just didn't have enough evidence to proceed with charges. Oh, that's I, a I even asked them, can you not charge them with having an illegal sawed-off shotgun because it's an illegal sawed-off shotgun? You know, that's that's a felony charge. Right. Well, we could char- we just char- we could charge them with a few misdemeanors, but that's about it. There's an intimidation charge there with a deadly weapon with a firearm. There's there's so much. Several felony charges they could have charged them with. Several of people in lies throughout the investigation. False informing. That's hindering an investigation. Well, let me ask you this: They, Brandy, at one point when the police got there, did she say? What really happened, or did she lie to the police? She never said a word. She was hysterical. They tried to ask her what happened. She she couldn't say anything. She was just crying hysterically, and she never said anything. I mean, she never gave the, the first statement. She never said the first word to them. I think she and was they, too scared to. She was questioned with the person of interest standing right next to her. Uh-huh. Oh, my yes. God. Wow. But they told her... Okay, you go back to the trailer or the camper. I forgot which one it was, but you go back to the camper and we'll come back and talk to you in a few days. The day it happened when my mom and my husband arrived on the scene, she jumped in my husband's SUV wanting to leave, wanting to go with them. And my mom and my husband wouldn't let her go because, of course, they didn't, they, they knew what happened. They just didn't know her role in it. So they, you know, my husband told her, you're not leaving with us. And I regret that decision on his part every day because I wondered if she had went, if it was one of those what if, if she had went with them, she would have told them what had happened that day. I agree, Amanda. But, and also, let me cut you off here. I'm so sorry. But going back to where she wouldn't say anything, wouldn't say a word, it takes me back to Fat Boy in his interview with your private investigator when he said, you know, why why didn't you tell the truth from the beginning or whatnot is because he was afraid that maybe Mark would shoot him next. I feel like that same fear was in Brandy. I feel like that's why she did not say too. anything. Oh, I yeah. mean, you don't know how you're going to react in a situation until you're in that situation. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I mean, I've said a hundred times myself that if, if I had seen that happen, I, I would have got something and, you know, beat the living crap out of him. But I can't. I can. I can say that all day long. But that doesn't mean that's how I'm going to react when I see someone shoot someone and kill them. Right. right. And have the gun in their hand, you know, or at least exactly. within wherever it is, you know, wherever he claims it was. He claims it was on him, but you know, that's that's a tough one because you're right. People don't know how they're going to respond. You know, the fight or flight mode. You don't know which options it, it's going to happen. And you don't know how, I mean, and everyone responds to comments different. different. And yeah. fear, I'm sure they were all scared. Uh, you oh, know, when somebody uh, shot, that's a serious, yeah, I'm sure everyone was scared in there. The, um, after, a matter of, but, but as soon as she was away from that area, as soon as she got out of there, she told them what happened. She, she wanted to go to the detectives. She, I mean... How many drug addicts do you know that are wanting to go talk to detectives, the cops, you know? She was all over it, wanting to go down there and talk to them and tell them what happened. Okay. Now, we're going to go. I want you to listen to something, old trend that's been on the police department, a homicide detective for many years. And I asked him for a lot of advice and questions. And I specifically asked him regarding when... 
the third 911 call where I told him to listen and I, I said, well, give me your input on how this whole thing should have been handled. We're going to play his clip with me and him talking. I just told him to leave it right in your chair where it's at. Don't tell I, I would have told him to leave it right in your chair where it's at. Do not touch the gun until the police get there. Yep, that's exactly what should have happened. Okay, so you're saying that uh, she should have instructed him not to touch the weapon at all? Not to touch the weapon, not to do anything in the crime scene until the police get there and secure the crime scene. Okay, and that's, that's what I thought, because I thought that was kind of odd. I said, why would she tell him to, to pick up the, the, get the gun and, un you know, make sure it's secure? I think that I was a job for the police. It is. I would never tell somebody that. I want the crime scene to be as original as it can be when I get there. As a, okay. Okay. So in your experience, with your experience as a detective, you would have, uh, if you had been on the call with, with this caller, you would have told him not to touch it at all or anything. Don't touch the gun. Leave it right where it's at. Don't touch anything when we get there. Okay. Okay. That's what I want him to do, not to touch anything. Well, I think that was pretty clear. Um, <laughs> that when, when I talked to him, Randy had said, you know, I want to... I want the crime scene to be as original as possible. You know, Heather, that would make clear sense, co clear common sense, that that's what a police detective would want. Am I right? You're exactly correct. So, Amanda, I know you heard the clip. You know, do you agree that it should be original? Oh, yeah, most definitely. I mean, that's, I don't even have to be a homicide detective. I don't, even, I don't have to be a detective at all. That's common knowledge that you want the crime scene left exactly the way that it was when the you know when the crime or the suicide or the murder or whatever happened. You want it left exactly the way it was left. Exactly. Yes. Yes. It's processing evidence. Um, you know, again, that's just evidence 101. Like Amanda said, um, especially with all the TV shows on nowadays, every Every common person even knows now. Number one, when, a, when any type of be a suicide or anything, you always have to secure that crime scene immediately. Everybody has to step away, and you cannot have people on that property whatsoever until the evidence is properly uh, processed in a very procedural manner. So every little detail of that house, every cloth, every photo, every fingerprint needed to be secured before it's contaminated because once you don't secure the crime scene, not only now have you pretty much lost all that evidence from an evidential standpoint in a, in a court of law, okay, because now you've got contamination. You, you know, if you process DNA, you've got multiple DNAs. So a, a defense attorney is going to have a heyday with that, and that's why it's going to be a difficult case to prosecute, unfortunately. That's where it's going to make it tough. Okay, now even though we're saying that when the caller, when the person of interest made the, the 911 call, he never said it was a crime. He said a guy shot himself. So how do they proceed from there? It still should be treated as a crime scene. Just because somebody on the other end of that telephone says, oh, I've got somebody that shot himself, 
doesn't matter in the land of law enforcement. They have to treat everything as a crime scene until they procedurally, you know, get all the evidence as they're supposed to do. They have to it's, process it's, it. It's actually called a suicide investigation. If they're supposed to process a crime scene to rule out anything other than a suicide. Correct. Yes. Okay. You can't take someone's word for it on the telephone just because he says, oh, this guy killed himself. And that means nothing. Absolutely nothing. I agree. Mm -hmm. I agree. But I just wanted to make that clear because he, when he called 911, he said, hey, I got a guy here that shot himself, that, you know, shot himself. So, um, yeah, and that's, they can write that down, but it should not be the end-all, be-all of that investigation. That, that's, Correct. You know, that should have been minimal, just a detail, until they actually investigate it themselves. You don't take someone's word for it and say, oh, okay, he said he shot himself. Let's just close the case. And in this case, that's wrong. exactly what they did. Yeah, and that was wrong. I agree. Well, Amanda, you... So where do you go from here? Uh, is it looking like you're at a dead end? Is it looking like the district attorney is listening or they are just done listening and they're just pretty much told you they're not going to do anything further? Um, in my opinion, the district attorney is not going to do anything until that cause of death gets changed. He, he says that until new evidence comes to light, the case was closed. Okay, so, I mean, it doesn't have to be changed to homicide. It could be changed to undetermined. Accidental shooting. Long, it could even be an yeah. accidental shooting. But as long as they have something other than suicide, because right. when it says suicide, they have no case in court. They can't go in and exactly. say, hey, this guy killed himself. But we think this guy did it. You can't go into a court of exactly. law with that. Okay, what about statement? What about a, a, a new statement from Brandy saying, you know, hey, I, I'm going to come clean. This is what happened. And then the fat boy statement, you get a recorded statement from him saying, hey, this is what happened. Now, here's the, pro here's the problem. They've already done they, that. Yes. They have, and here's the issue, and here's why it probably isn't. that Those pieces alone are not going to get it into a court because they changed their story. And let's say a defense attorney gets that information that they changed their story. All they need is a reasonable doubt. One juror to be reasonably doubtful that this case, you know, that these these witnesses change their story. All it takes is one person. And and when they try him, you only get one chance to try a person, right. as we know. No. So if no, they try no. him, it, oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, and if they try him and you get one juror to say, uh, not guilty, then we've got a problem. So they want to, it needs to be a very solid backing. So that's probably why. Brandy's statement has been the same since day one. Yes. I mean, even up to today, she'll tell you the exact same thing. So her story has never changed. Bad boys, on the other hand, did. You know, he originally said that was a suicide. Right. But then when they when they questioned him, and, and I guess they did a little interrogation with him, because I've seen the you know the video recording of the interviews on him. He, he kind of broke, and that's when he changed the story and said that, yeah, he knew for a fact this person of interest came out of the room with the gun, you know, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. So, but you have one witness that story has been the same since day one. And this was, you know, most people that are on drugs and then are clean, their stories change, their thoughts change, their ideas change, what they think mm -hmm. they saw change. They have interviewed while she was on drugs. 
And while she has been clean and sober, and her story is the same, no matter what, what you ask her. Yes, even and that's awesome. So we need we need her statement, but we need more with her to back it up. And I believe you've got the more with her to back it up. Like I said, with the medical examiner verifying essentially what the suspect said, just about him being on amphetamines, he could fight it off. And the suspect said, oh, there was a struggle. So if you put all those pieces with it, then that's what you take. Um, but just having that witness statement isn't going to be enough for the DA to change it when you've got an autopsy saying suicide. So it's putting all these together, but I think that you're on that path. And I feel right. like and you've I, got those pieces. You have those pieces. And I also believe, in my opinion, that I don't believe the DA ever actually dove, dove, dove into this case and looked at everything. I believe he just scanned over it. He looked at the, you know, the autopsy and seen suicide, and that was it. You know, he he agreed it was suicide. I think you're right. Yeah, it sounds sad if that's how he's looking at it, because, you know, sitting on it, sitting here looking and reading and listening to those 911 calls, because clearly, in each call, the reason he's hanging up in in one, two, and three. It's because he doesn't want the dispatcher to hear whatever it is Brandy is saying. He is trying to clean up a bad situation that he screwed up, and he's trying to clean it up before law enforcement get there. Clearly, that's what that was about. Um, I'm also wanting to say um, those 911 calls, like, he's a timid. Every time he hangs up, you know he's intimidating those other people. They're like, look, keep your mouth shut. This is what went down. You say anything, you're next. You know, that's just the feeling and the vibe I get from Mark and his demeanor anyways. That's how he is. Everything that you and your family are trying, you know, I, I, I really hope this all work out. I really do. Well, this man is clearly should be locked up. He should be in prison. Right. And he's not. And, it's and I, I fear for other people's safety, you know, if he's done it once. He'll do it again. He could have done it before. Gary. I don't know. Well, yeah, now he thinks he can get away with it, so that's even worse. Right. Yeah. He knows He knows what to do to get away with it again if he does it again. So, I mean, the community needs to be worried about their own safety. The, the, the law enforcement needs to be worried about getting this man off the street before he does it again. Because I wouldn't wish this on my worst enemy. Right. I've said all along, I wouldn't even wish this kind of pain and torture and suffering on the person that killed my brother. Yeah. I wouldn't wish it on nobody. Because it's living hell every day. It's the first thing I start when I wake up in the morning. The first thing I start doing is, you know, reaching out to people to cover his case, to help me. And, it's, I mean, I stay up all night. I can't sleep from the post-traumatic stress disorder and the depression and anxiety. And so I'm constantly, it's a 24-hour job that I'm doing trying to get justice for DJ and get this man off the street. You're doing a great job. You know, one thing I like to ask um, the people that we speak with, because you're DJ's voice, okay? You're his only voice that he has. So one thing I always like to ask is, what would you like to say to the suspect now? You've got the opportunity. What do you want to tell him? Oh, oh God, that's a hard question. There's so many things I'd want to tell him. Or how about this? How about this? You know, we can go to Georgia, and you can ask Mr. Marshall Payne himself in his face because uh, surely he doesn't want to be stupid with me standing next to you uh, because I clearly see that this punk's a coward. Uh, he has to have a gun to feel to feel like he's dominant. 
So right. I can clearly see that, you, you know, you're having a struggle with what you really want to say, maybe because still deep down you're, you, are, you feel intimidated. It's not that I feel intimidated. I'm, I, haven't, I haven't been able to forgive him. I just feel like until he admits to what he's done, I can't start the forgiving process. Mm-hmm. And the forgiving process is a big thing with me. I mean, if I could forgive him, that would help me so much. And I know I'm doing it for myself if I forgive him. But I just feel like I can't forgive him until he admits to what he has done. And the main thing that I think I would want to say to him is I would want to, I would want him to look in BJ's kids' eyes and just tell him, you took their daddy away from them. You know, how, how dare you? What gives you the right to take anyone's life from them and to ruin three babies' lives because of, you know, something that you were trying to get, something that you were trying to gain? I hurt for DJ's babies. I mean, I hurt for myself, for my mother, but I hurt for DJ's babies more than I do anything. I know. That's understandable. You made me cry, Amanda. Yeah. And I pray every day that you he- get to hear those words guilty on this case. Yeah, I do too. Yeah, we'll pray for that. I do, too. I mean, I just feel like if I ever get to hear those words guilty, that the weight of the world will be lifted off my shoulder. Hopefully this district attorney will have a change of heart. Hopefully he will sit down at his desk and look into this further without going off the decision that the medical examiner won't change the cause of death. Because look like he could pick up the phone or request a meeting at his office and say, here is the evidence. This is what we need to look into. Right. And then make the right decision. I believe believe if the DA had to have been the one that set up the appointment instead of my private investigator, I believe they may have took it a little bit more seriously. But here you have a family that hired someone, you know, so they automatically assume, oh, well, he's just wanting, he's being paid for his opinion. Right. And that wasn't the case. Eric Eccles, the private investigator, when I first contacted him, he he specifically told me, send me everything you have. I don't want to hear any theories. I don't want to hear any rumors. I don't want to hear anything that you have to say. Just send me the facts. And I did that. I sent okay. it to him, and he called me about four days later and told me, he said, your brother was murdered. Uh. I'm all, and I told him, I was like, you, you're not telling me anything I don't already know. Well... We are still going to be with you on this. Absolutely. We're not going to give up. Uh, you know how to get in touch with us. You know, we already created a uh, conversation to where we can keep close in contact. And we will remain and keep that open. And I, I just want you to know you are doing a wonderful job yes fighting phenomenal job phenomenal the amount of evidence that you've even given us i'm amazed at just how well you've put everything together how much you have i mean you've done the job for five investigators easily yes easily and and that's sad heather because i've literally had to go out here and do their jobs for them you did and you shouldn't have, but you did, and you've done it well. And that's why I, I really feel like you have the pieces. They just have to now be put together in a nice little picture before they're presented again. I feel like you've got it. I just you've got it. I feel I just don't feel like a victim of a murdered, you know, murdered victim 
should have to see the things that I've seen, hear the they things shouldn't. that I've heard. They should and have. They shouldn't have to pick a pick through and dig into their brother's murder investigation to find the truth when it's right there already. Yeah, they should not, and you're exactly correct. But you're doing a phenomenal job. I just want to tell you that you're you're doing great work, and again, you're speaking for your brother. So yes, it's yes. not in vain what you're doing. Just know that. That's true. She's telling you right, Amanda. Yes. Well, Amanda, with everything you got going on, I constantly see you on Twitter, Instagram, you know, constantly fighting. And we want to say thank you for coming on the show. And like I said, we're still you, with you. We, we are still with you. Yes. And um, I appreciate it. We, yes, we are. So any new developments or anything come up, do not hesitate to contact Jackie or myself or even Heather. So. All right, we're going to get not, up. We're not done. Just know that. I'm not done. We're not done. Um, and I will definitely be in contact with you because, you know, we've talked. And uh, we're putting stuff together for you, too. So just know we are not I done. I appreciate that. And we do have a, we, do, we have both the wrong for death suit on the person of interest. And that's coming up around November. So that's good. Hopefully, that's maybe that good. can help a little. So Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, keep us informed. All right, guys, we're going to get up out of here. And remember, we have a website. We have photos, videos. We have case files where you can go and help us work these cases. And we would like for you to get involved. So go to www.crimepursuitpodcast.com. You can also follow us on Facebook at Crime Pursuit Podcast. We also on Instagram and Twitter as well at Crime Pursuit so please like the page follow us get involved get involved with the pursuit we'll welcome you we need all the help we can get all right until another time we'll be back with another pursuit goodbye <laughs>